0: What is this room? What is this room? So this is Billy. Uh, <laughs> Billy is the newest member of our family as of about an hour ago. Our the dog Georgia loves him so far, except for what I think was just the, the protest pee inside 10 minutes ago, so that was fun. But yeah, just wanted to share and also give you a moment where uh, you're like, oh, I don't hate everything. But we're gonna fix that. This is a new show. You beautiful bastards, it's Tuesday. My name's Philip DeFranco. There's a lot of news to talk about today, so let's just jump into it. Y'all, first up, in infuriating and disgusting news that could affect the future of YouTube, we need to talk about Nick Miner, a Destiny content creator who goes by Lord Nazo, Bungie, the massive game studio that originally made Halo and currently develops Destiny, and $7.6 million. Right, so back in December of last year, Miner's channel was hit with copyright strikes and eventually taken down by Bungie's digital rights representative, CSE Global, after he just flat out re-uploaded Bungie soundtracks. And after that happens, it appears that like Nick was kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Tons of creators in the Destiny community and even Bungie start getting hit with copyright strikes from CSE Global. So the community understandably outraged, Miner and others grabbing pitchforks as Bungie had promised in the past to allow a lot of its content to be used so creators can make channels based on destiny. But then we see in March of this year, Bungie actually deny any wrongdoing and publishing guidelines over what would actually result in a copyright strike and saying that clearly someone was impersonating CSE Global. With Bungie then saying, we're gonna get to the bottom of this. They contact YouTube and uh, that proved to be as helpful as any creator contacting YouTube in the recent lawsuit that YouTube has no dedicated mechanism for copyright holders who were being impersonated to let YouTube know about the DMCA fraud. And adding that this meant that Bungie had to work through several layers of YouTube contacts over a period of several days before it could adequately communicate and begin addressing the problem. However, as we now know, thanks to their lawsuit, Bungie actually had to slap YouTube with a subpoena to get any information. Which has also sparked people in the YouTube community to talk about YouTube's lack of communication, including Moist Critical most recently. Bungie got a taste
1: of what it's like to be a normal YouTuber for a little bit. You get no answers, you get no response, and you get no solutions when you go up to, like, the top of the food chain of YouTube. They would have had better luck just doing what all the rest of us do and start whining on Twitter about it and crying for YouTube's attention because it seems like the only team there that can actually solve things is the team YouTube Twitter account.
0: Eventually though, Bungie says they got answers. They figured out that you've probably put the puzzle together. Nick Miner had made two fake Gmail accounts that looked like they belonged to CSE Global and was using those to issue a total of 96 false DMCA claims. Meanwhile, just the entire time he was interacting with community and acting like he was gonna get to the bottom of things. And so Miner has now been slapped with a $7.6 million lawsuit, but it might not just be $7.6 million. With Bungie claiming that they're also entitled to other damages over Miner's actions alongside attorney's fees. And the proof against Miner's seems to be pretty huge, right? First off, Bungie knows that Miner's IP was used for all the takedowns and to upload an in-character manifesto claiming that this was done to highlight how bad YouTube's verification of credentials was when it came to copyright strike. For that, Bungie's lawyer said that it reads like a hackneyed, look what you made me do letter from the serial killer in a bad novel. And you know, for a lot of people looking back at this, they say it's clear that Miner did this for revenge more than anything because the copyright strikes against him were legitimate. With it seeming like he came up with an answer afterwards to try and justify his actions. And by just looking at the situation, realize, oh, this case could be important. Right, if this lawsuit is is successful, it could serve as a warning to other would-be assholes who want to weaponize the copyright system. But also, hopefully YouTube can come up with a solution to more easily vet whether or not people are who they say they are when they're issuing takedowns, because this is fucking Bungie. They're a big, meaningful company who, prior to this, you would have thought, oh, they definitely have direct lines to YouTube, and even for them, it took months to get to this point. Right, YouTube, you gotta help, because making it so that people have to drag their balls through glass to get to the other side, that's not the solution. It's your road, and all of us creators, we're driving on it, but also, we pay for it, so clean the fucking road. Please. And then we need to talk about the absolutely horrible news out of San Antonio, Texas, where around four dozen migrants were found dead inside of an abandoned tractor trailer. With a person working nearby reportedly hearing a cry for help around 6 p.m. And when they went over to investigate, they found a trailer just packed full of dead and dying people. Now, this is still a developing situation, but as of right now, it looks like a total of 51 people are dead with at least two of them passing away at the hospitals. Also, at least a dozen are alive and hospitalized for heat-related illnesses. That number, initially 16, including 12 adults and four children. All of them feeling hot to the touch and he hydrated, according to fire chief charles hood who also said that the trailer had no water or functional air conditioning we're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there um, none of us come to work imagining that so we're working through the
1: uh behavioral health for our folks right now. Notably,
0: this comes as San Antonio is suffering one of the hottest June months on record with temperatures topping 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which obviously played a huge part in this being the deadliest tragedy for migrants in the city's history and probably the worst cross-border human trafficking incident in decades. And the responses to this incident could not be more different. For example, you have former Congress member Beto O'Rourke, who's running to be Texas's governor, tweeting, this is devastating. We need urgent action. Dismantle human smuggling rings and replace them with expanded avenues for legal migration that reflect our values and meet our country's needs. Needs. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have incumbent Republican Governor Greg Abbott, who said, these deaths are on Biden. They are a result of his deadly open border policies. They show the deadly consequences of his refusal to enforce the law. Now, just to be clear, because I often see kind of misunderstandings or misconceptions around this argument of open borders, Biden does not have an open border policy. That sounds like people are coming over. They're just kind of let in. That's not the case. In fact, migrant apprehensions at the southern border last year reached 1.7 million. But what people are often referring to is Title 42, which as the New York Times explains, is a U.S. public health rule enacted during the the coronavirus pandemic where migrants from mexico guatemala and honduras are often quickly expelled back into mexico after they're intercepted by the u.s border patrol which is why that 1.7 million number is so high for people stopped at the border there is an unusually high rate of adults trying to cross multiple times now and it was actually first invoked by the trump administration and while the cdc announced that the policy would end back in may a federal judge actually blocked the cdc from ending the policy but that said as far as san antonio as far as what happens next you now have the dhs leading an investigation into this which it believes was caused by human smuggling with authorities saying that three people were detained near the site, though their connection to it is unclear right now. And we'll wait to see more information come out, of course, I'd love to pass the question off to you, what are your thoughts about this whole situation? Then, you know how yesterday we talked about how other people, and definitely not Philip DeFranco, were explaining how to get abortion pills mailed to you, even if you were in a red state? Well, it's now being reported that Facebook and Instagram are blocking and removing posts and hashtags about that, and in some cases, even temporarily banning people who share that content. And all that makes for massive tech and social news, because in the days since Roe was overturned, we've seen tons of people using social media platforms to share essential resources for people who all of a sudden do not have access to essential care. And specifically regarding details or links about how to gain access to these pills in different states, you have, you know, Everyday Joe and Jane Blow, definitely not, Philip DeFranco, uh, others like Ariana Grande, AOC. People even tried to call AOC out on this and she was like, yeah, and? But according to Vice's motherboard, Facebook has been cracking down on people who share status updates saying abortion pills can be mailed. And specifically regarding Facebook, you had reporters' advice hearing that this was a thing. They wanted to test it out themselves. They posted an update with the phrase abortion pills can be mailed on a burner Facebook account. With that post, reportedly flagged within seconds for violating the platform's community standards on rules against buying, selling, or exchanging medical or non-medical drugs. They were then given the option to agree or disagree with the decision, and when they chose disagree, the post was just removed. Now, days later, that post was reinstated, but when they posted the exact same phrase once more and clicked agree after it was flagged again, their account was banned for 24 hours. And very notably, while Facebook instantly flagged those posts, Motherboard said it was able to post the phrase painkiller pills can be mailed without any problems. And this whole process appears to be backed up in nearly identical tests posted by reporters at the Press and gadget. But when they wrote posts saying I'm selling cigarettes, cigarettes can be mailed, antidepressants can be mailed, painkiller pills can be mailed. And if you send me your address, I will mail you a gun. All those posts were totally fine. And then over on Instagram, you have NBC News reporting that they're limiting searches. Like if you search the terms abortion pills and for stone, they said at that time, it returned no new posts indicating that the company is limiting what users can see. And when they searched those hashtags, Instagram said that they were hidden because some posts may not follow Instagram's community guidelines, but not saying what guidelines they were violating. And the reason I said no results returned at that time is because after NBC published its article yesterday, Instagram appears to have unblocked those hashtags. But also beyond that, the outlet reported that in addition to the hashtags, two abortion resource organizations and at least a Dozen users claim that Instagram is removing posts about abortion. This including the abortion access platform, Abortion Finder, which said that its Instagram page was temporarily suspended on Sunday after receiving a surge of attention from celebrities and its inclusion on the Biden administration's official website of resources. And so ultimately you have this situation where you have people wondering, you know, is Facebook doing this with intention? Is this a stance? Or are they just fumbling and tripping over themselves? Because it seems like full on blocking access to a resource that literally the president of the United States is linking to it feels intentional. But from that, I wanna thank the sponsor of today's show, Vessi. Now, unless you're new here, you've likely heard me rave about my Vessis before. And if you still don't own a pair today, you have to get yourself a pair right now. for the few still new to Vessi, they are my favorite lightweight shoes that are perfect for all seasons because they actually keep your feet warm and dry through rain and sandproof for those summer beach days. They're built for everyday life because Vessis make 100% waterproof and snowproof sneakers that are incredibly comfortable, breathable, and actually pretty stylish. They've recently reimagined their everyday slip ons to be even more breathable and supportive than ever before. And they have the same sock-like fit, laceless design, and waterproof Dymotech technology you love. Plus, the Everyday Move slip-ons now feature added arch support, which makes them perfect for long days on your feet and the perfect shoe for lightweight travel. And when I'm not in my slip-ons, I'm usually dressing up my weekend Chelsea boots. And as if them just being fantastic wasn't enough. Starting today, for seven days only, get up to 30% off site-wide at Vessi.com DeFranco. Trust me, you need a pair of Vessies. And then, of course, the final thing we have to talk about today is the surprise January 6th committee hearing, with people wondering what is this recently obtained evidence that they're talking about, with it later coming out that the hearing would center around surprise testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And some of the stuff we heard today is absolutely fucking insane. But to get to some of those things, we have to touch on other things that led to that. Because part of both the live and recorded testimony was Hutchinson outlining all the knowledge that Trump and his team had about the potential for things to seriously escalate on January 6th. Starting things off with things like Rudy Giuliani telling her a few days before January 6th to get excited, saying something to the effect of, we're going to the Capitol, it's going to be great. And saying when she asked Meadows about Giuliani's remarks, he responded, things might get real bad real bad. The panel then goes on to outline warnings of violence from law enforcement and security agencies ahead of the attack, with Hutchinson telling the committee that she heard Oath Keepers and Proud Boys discussed ahead of January 6th, though she wasn't sure of the context. Cassidy also describing conversations she had with top security officials, including the Director of National Intelligence and the National Security Advisor, with both discussing concerns over the potential for violent escalation on January 6th, with the panel then moving to the events that took place on January 6th. And here we had co-chair Liz Cheney playing audio of police on the ground, talking about people with AR-15s there. Cassidy also detailing a meeting that Mark had at around 10 o'clock in the morning about the other weapons in the crowd with one of those people even reportedly saying tony had
1: relayed to me something to the effect of and these i think people are fastening spears onto the ends of flagpoles.
0: But reportedly, even though you had tensions high, all these weapons, you had Cassidy saying that Donald Trump actually wanted no mags, or the metal detectors that are typical in these kinds of events for Trump's speech at the rally. With Hutchinson testifying that Trump was furious because his crowd did not look big enough, and didn't care that his supporters had weapons because they weren't there to hurt him, which is notable because the Trump supporters that did try to go through the mags, they had tons of weapons and gear confiscated, including pepper spray, knives, brass knuckles, tasers, body armor, gas masks, and batons. But despite all that, Hutchinson said that Trump asked security to literally take the mags down so the area could be packed. I
1: overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing mags away.
0: With Cheney going on to note that after that, Trump then went on to deliver his speech encouraging his supporters who he knew were armed to march to the Capitol.
1: President Trump was aware that a number of the individuals in the crowd had weapons and were wearing body armor. And here's what President Trump instructed the crowd to do. We're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here we're going to walk down to the
0: Capitol. But that's not even where this ends. And apparently Donald Trump actually wanted to march onto the Capitol. This despite Hutchinson testifying that White House lawyers were essentially begging Trump not to do this. With Hutchinson saying the White House counsel even told her we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable and warned that if Trump went to the Capitol, it could look like he was literally inciting a riot. With a the panel then playing a montage of former Trump officials saying this was Donald Trump's plan to go. With Hutchinson going on to say, there were discussions about him having another speech outside the Capitol before going in. I know that there was a conversation about him going into the house, at one point. With Hutchinson then recounting how another top aide had told her about the specific moment that Trump was told by Secret Service agents that it was unsafe to go to the Capitol and that he would not be taken there. So
1: once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol. And when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, Sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm said sir you need to take your hand off the steering wheel we're going back to the west wing we're not going to the capitol mr trump then used his free hand to lunge towards bobby angle and mr when mr ornato had recounted this story to me he had motioned towards his clavicles and was mr engel in the room as mr ornato told you this story he was did mr engel Correct or disagree with any part of the story for Mr. Ornato? Mr. Engel did not correct or disagree with any part of
0: the story. Although, there, I do want to note, this is still a developing situation. Right, just a few hours after this testimony, while it has not been publicly confirmed yet, Peter Alexander, the chief White House correspondent for NBC News, he tweeted, a source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential limousine slash SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. And so we we'll have to wait to see if that's true, if it comes to fruition. You also had Hutchinson later testifying that as the insurrection was happening, you had Trump supporters infiltrating the Capitol. That this conversation went down between Meadows and White House counsel, Pat Cipollone.
1: Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. To which Pat said something, this is effing crazy. We need to be doing something more, briefly stepped into Mark's office.
0: Which would also explain why it took Donald Trump so long to ask the violent mob to leave the Capitol. And instead, before that, choosing to further incite this mob against his own vice president in tweets. With him only finally sending out that video after Hutchinson described so many people encouraging and just outright begging Trump to call the rioters off. Hutchinson also saying that Giuliani and Meadows asked for pardons from Trump. But the final bombshell from this already fucking insane hearing came from Liz Cheney, who revealed that Trump and his allies have been intimidating some of the panel's witnesses. With they reading these absolutely wild recordings, which is just sounds like it's from a bad mob boss movie. One witness saying they said, a person let me know you have your deposition tomorrow. He wants me to let you know that he's thinking about you. He knows you're loyal and you're gonna do the right thing when you go in for your deposition. As well as what they said to me is as long as I continue to be a team player, they know that I'm on the team. I'm doing the right thing. I'm protecting who I need to protect. You know, I'll continue to stay in good graces in Trump world. And they have reminded me a couple of times that Trump does read transcripts and just to keep that in mind as I proceeded through my depositions and interviews with the committee. So I think for most people with eyes and ears, Years, what appears to be witness tampering clearly but that is where i'm gonna leave it because i want to try and get this out to you as fast as possible today and of course whether you watched it live or you're just getting it from me i'd love to know your thoughts on all these revelations but ultimately that is where that story and today's show ends guys thank you for being a part of that conversation down below being a part of these daily dives in the news if you want some more news i got you covered right here and here but my name's philip defranco you've just been filled in i love yo faces and i'll see you tomorrow